Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. You probably guessed it. The New York Jets lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 35-9. to You knew it was going to be ugly before the game started. The Jets went into this game 19.5 to 20.5 point underdogs. They actually got beat by more than that. The team is now 0-8, and we are staring at a dark and gloomy rest of our season. We knew that already, but 0-8, we're halfway through the season right now. This marks the halfway point. Jets haven't gotten a game yet. Not a single one. There are many hard games to come. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I always mark a successful season being if you're successful, then you're playing for something that matters in Week 17. Maybe you don't make the playoffs, but it's successful if you're playing for a meaningful game to try to get in at the end of the year. The Jets, the only meaning that they're going to have in Week 17 is draft position. Are they going to get that first overall pick, or are they just going to be top five? Now, at the strength schedule to the New York Jets, it could be an issue getting that number one overall pick if they do win some games. We'll talk more about that later, but there's a lot to get into today. We've got, uh, at the halfway point of the season, we also had the trade deadline. That was today at about 4 o'clock, so an hour ago after recording this. Joe Douglas, after the trade deadline ended, started a press conference, which I've, I'm looking at my phone a little bit as I'm doing this now and, and just kind of seeing some updates and what people are posting that he's saying. I'll probably talk more about that next week. So unfortunately, don't have all that content to get into. But I'm going to try to do a clear, concise, and quick episode on this one because, frankly, when you lose 35-9 to to the best team in football and you are the worst team in football and you've been that for eight weeks in a row, there's only so much that needs to be said. At this point, there's only so many players that we actually even care about that we're actually evaluating for the future. We've traded more guys away. It's, uh, it's not getting better anytime quick. But before we get into everything, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gangrene Nation podcast, as you know. Series title, This is the Jet Life. And any rating, review, all that stuff is really appreciated. Helps me out, goes a long way. And if you're looking for more stuff on the New York Jets, my thoughts, opinions, and insight, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Or just tell me that you think I'm wrong about something, that I got bad opinions, or engage with me anyway. I don't care. We're just talking New York Jets. It's, it's one of those years right now. We all need each other. Some people are a little more miserable than others. I'm doing okay. I see, I see the pathway here. Um, it's just difficult getting there, but I do live play-by-play, play, not game-by-game. So I can be extremely happy with a single Denzel Mims catch. And that can actually propel me a pretty long way. Pathetically enough. Um, all right, so we will begin with the trade deadline. As we know, the New York Jets have traded Jordan Willis. They've traded Steve McClendon. And this week they added a trade, Avery Williamson, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Jets are 0-8, worst team in football. The Steelers, 7-0, best team in football. Avery Williamson just took... A big swing forward. He's going to be competing for potentially a Super Bowl. They released uh, his number. He's going to be number 51 for the Steelers, which is the same number that James Ferrier wore, another linebacker that the New York Jets traded to the Steelers back in the, I guess it was probably early 2000s at that point. And uh, Avery Williamson 
hopefully going to fill some shoes, help them out. They had an injury to their middle linebacker, Bush, so it makes sense for them. It makes sense for the Jets because, in reality, Avery Williamson was not coming back. He has trouble moving quickly across the field, and speed is one of our big issues on defense. Um, he doesn't cover very well. He's a good run stopper, but that's about it. I think he's definitely regressed a little bit since his injury. And there was a point where the New York Jets were potentially going to cut him before the season began. He did take a pay cut to play with the New York Jets and to remain with us. But after what's going on now and him not being part of the future, it just makes sense. Move on from him. The trade to the Pittsburgh Steelers is Avery Williamson plus the New York Jets' seventh-round pick in 2022 in return for the Steelers' fifth-round pick in 2022. So nothing to do with next year's draft. But again, when you look towards 2022, it's another year where the New York Jets are going to be going in with more ammo than most teams in the league. They've already got that Seahawks 22 first-round pick. Now they've got the Steelers fifth-round pick in that draft. So not only are we really looking forward to this upcoming draft where Joe Douglas can make a lot of moves, do a lot of damage, but we also, the following year after that, are going to be set up similarly well. And to be honest, so far, this year's draft class from Joe Douglas looks better than almost probably any draft class that Mike McCagden ever had and definitely better than John Idzik ever had. Right away, you're seeing you know, output from and production from important players in the Jets, and they don't look like busts. Usually with Mike McCagden drafts, by week six, seven, you had clear busts on the team. I don't see any of those right now for the New York Jets in Joe Douglas's first draft class. And most of these guys now are playing, have played, with the exception of, you know, Bryce Hall, Captain Morgan, and Cameron Clark. Everybody else is getting out there. And so far, I like what uh, Jabari Zaniga hasn't either. But everybody else has. You like what you see. There's still potential for more. And, uh, like we said last week, I think the number to get is like two guys that are serviceable New York Jets for, you know, four plus years is the bar for what Mike McCagden was doing over the past, or and John Idzik and some of Mike Tannenbaum over the past 10 years. I think we're going to get more than that from this Joe Douglas draft class. Then we got another one next year, another one afterwards. This team is going to turn around, so definitely some positivity up ahead. So that's what happened at the trade deadline. McClendon, Williamson, and... and uh, Jordan Willis. So, run stoppers, defensive front middle linebacker. It doesn't hurt the Jets all that much today. McClendon will be replaced by Foley Fadakasi. Willis didn't really play. Williamson will get replaced by maybe a guy like Blake Cashman, who could probably use a little bit more time. Patrick Unwasser, who we traded to the Ravens, could potentially move into that spot. We can see what he can do. And at the end of the day, you know, Avery Williamson not playing middle linebacker is not going to be the reason that the Jets continue to lose. Quinn and Williams' name was brought up at the trade deadline as a potential trade candidate, as a lot of people around the league potentially would want him. There's been a lot of interesting, differing viewpoints on Quinn and Williams so far this season, and some people think that he's not playing very well. I think that any Jets fan who's watching can see that Quinn and Williams is one of the best players on this defense, for sure. Probably the best player on the defense. He makes an impact basically every single game, and is he a superstar amongst, is he an Aaron Donald-level player at this point? Probably not, no. But he is one of the better difference-making interior defensive linemen in the entire NFL, in my opinion, right now. And I think that he shows up game in, game out, even though when you look at that defensive line, there's really nobody else to double-team, to focus on, to be watching out for. Quinn Williams makes big plays, and he, he gets production for this New York Jets team, and he's still so young. So happy to have him remaining here. He was a guy that, unless we got a major package for him, I didn't want to move him. So he just tweeted out, you know, New York Jets take flight, something like that. So hopefully he's happy to remain here. 
He's going to have to bear with the rest of this team as it goes through a whole heck of a thing. You know, him and guys like Makai Becton who are like, what are we What are we on right now? What did we just sign up for? It's like, yeah, you got drafted to this team, and you're part of the future. You're one of the few guys. Uh, it's going to be a lot of changes around you for the next couple of years. All right, moving to the draft. <laughs> yeah, week eight. Looking at the draft preview, the New York Jets still hold that number one overall spot if the season ended today. Keep in mind, at any point, this season could end due to the pandemic coronavirus. It's been talked about potentially having a 16-team playoff, which I absolutely do not want. Um, but they're saying, like, if this season gets cut short, you got to cut it at week 10, week 11 because of the virus, then potentially you put a couple extra teams into the playoffs. And the reason for doing this would be, you know, you've got a couple teams that would be on the fringe that if you had four more weeks to play football, they would be competing for a spot and potentially would be able to earn their way in. And when you cut a season short, they don't have the opportunity to earn the spot at the playoffs. In my opinion, if your record is not good enough at the time when the season ends, then let's not put you in there. I don't think adding the Raiders or the Dolphins in for a first-round game against the Kansas City Chiefs really makes the playoffs all that much better. Just keep those teams out if that's the case. But the season could end at any point, right? We have to be prepared for that. We've seen games get postponed. We haven't seen any team that's had a bye week so far and had to use that pandemic bye early, have that happen again, where they would have to then potentially change the entire schedule for the season. But, uh, yeah, it could happen at any point. The Jets are the worst team in the NFL, the only team with zero wins. There are three more teams with one wins, and those are the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Giants. The Giants almost beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers last night. That would have been incredible. Didn't happen, but they do look like a team that can be feisty and could potentially win a few games down the stretch. I do believe, especially in that division, that the Giants will win games this year. The other two teams, the Texans and the Jaguars, those ones are interesting. I think the Texans have a lot of talent, and they probably will win games. Those two teams actually face off this upcoming Sunday at 1 p.m., so that'll be interesting to look at. But the Jaguars, they're one of those teams that they would potentially be looking for the first overall pick. It looks like Gardner Minshew is potentially out as their quarterback. He's injured, so he's not going to be playing, but there's been talks of him maybe not getting his job back when he's healthy to play. If that's the case, they're definitely going to be looking for a starting quarterback because their only two guys behind him are Jake Luton, a sixth-round draft pick from this year, and Mike Glennon, a guy who's never had any success in the NFL. So when you're looking at that, you say to yourself, okay, this team, if they're going to be playing Luton and Glennon for the remainder of the year, they're not going to be winning many games. Now, the Texans will probably beat them this Sunday, and that would be fine because in reality, the Texans are the worst team to have a high draft pick because the Dolphins get their draft pick this year. We do not want a division rival getting any sort of ammo. So rooting for the Texans to win, rooting for the Giants, the Jags are going to be tricky. They're going to be one of those teams that is going to have trouble winning another game the rest of the season. And uh, that's one that we need Jake Luton to catch a little fire. You know, some of that Minshew mania where all of a sudden a Jaguars quarterback comes out and just plays with his eyes closed pretty well for, you know, 16 quarters, convinces some people that he's good. And then after people game plan and see what's going on, they realize that this guy can't really play, but that's fine. They've won a few games and uh, they're none the wiser. The Jets get potentially the first overall pick. That's if that's what you're going for. In reality, the way that I see it, the New York Jets can win as many games as they want the remainder of this year. You know, they can win three, four games. As long as the other horrible teams continue to win games as well, they can still get the first overall pick and win games. So I don't want to be an 0-16 team, be the only 0-16 team other than the Lions and Browns. That is not good company. I do not want that part of history. 
But of course, I understand the value of having that first overall pick, what Joe Douglas can do in terms of drafting and trading. It's all stuff to look at. Uh, so that's the scoop with the draft. We'll keep following that as the season goes on. Now we can go into the Chiefs versus Jets recap, where the New York Jets lose 9-35 to to the now 7-1 and Kansas City Chiefs. And you know what? They got their butts whooped, and we expected it. We knew they were going to get their butts whooped. I think that in the first half, the New York Jets played better than most of us expected. They actually had a 9-21 to deficit at the half, which isn't that horrible. And when you take into account that with like 50 seconds left, Sergio Castillo had a blocked field goal on a, a rusher who just came through unblocked. That was ridiculous. But they could have been 12-21, to 21, poised to get the ball at the half. And for, you know, a normal week, if your team is competitive and shows that it has any sort of fight later in a game, that it can do anything in the second half, has creative play calling or big play potential, you would say 12-21, to 21, getting the ball, we're in this game, absolutely. Us as Jets fans, we know we haven't really stopped the Chiefs so much in this game. They're probably going to continue to score on us. It's been pretty easy for them. We haven't moved the ball past, you know, we got one short field goal, but other than that, it was some long tries. But I think that when you look at it, there are some things to be somewhat optimistic about, and almost all of it existed in the first half. So when you look defensively, the Jets gave up touchdown first drive of the game to the Kansas City Chiefs. Next drive, they got a touchdown. Next drive, the Jets actually forced a punt on the Kansas City Chiefs. Their fourth drive and their final drive of the quarter, the Kansas City Chiefs scored a touchdown. So they had three touchdowns, one punt in the first half. And you're saying to yourself, all right, this defense can't stop the Kansas City Chiefs. That Greg Williams-style defense has been very consistent all year long. It's a bend-don't-break zone defense where you know that you don't have the horses to get after the quarterback to play man coverage against a guy like Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. You can't let the run beat you, so you got to kind of be conservative, make sure that the run doesn't beat you, try to send a couple extra guys after the quarterback to get a little bit of pressure on him so he's not just standing there all day long. And then, because you don't have enough defenders, really just kind of stay in some zones let them, if they can find the 5- to 15-yard pass, get that, and then hopefully tack tackle them pretty quickly, look for some big plays, and operate that way. So they've been doing that all year long. Unfortunately, when you're playing against a coach like Andy Reid, a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, and skill position players that are as good as Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, you name them, speed across the board and those guys, it's going to be a tough matchup, and they exploited the New York Jets all day long. They knew it going in. The Jets weren't going to change their defensive style. It's been very consistent all year long in what they do. And Andy Reid, of course, had relative ease with it. Now, we forced the punt, um, which was big in the first half. We actually got to a position where we should have forced another punt, but they did a fake punt, a nice play. I don't know why they wasted one of these great plays on the New York Jets, a game that they were clearly going to win. It felt like a little bit early on the way the Jets were moving the ball down the field and kind of giving the Chiefs a little bit of resistance on defense, like maybe Andy Reid was like, all right, we got to score and put this team away. And he felt maybe not nervous, but just a little bit uneasy about the way the Jets were probably playing a little bit better than they'd imagined. Probably imagined it was going to be, you know, 35-0 to at the half. It wasn't. Um, so they did that fake punt. They scored. The New York Jets, if you look at their offense, first drive, 54 yards on 12 plays, field goal. Pretty solid. Next drive, seven plays, 38 yards, field goal. Awesome. Next drive, 13 plays, 51 yards, field goal. 
And then at the end of the game, or end of the half, rather, six plays, 21 yards, a field goal try to end the half, blocked. Chiefs don't score on that. Luckily, we did get a tackle before the return man tried to take it to the house. But four times, no punts, no turnovers, and potentially 12 points there if that field goal is not blocked. They needed to pick up the blitzer there. Or the guy coming around the edge, he should have been at least chipped slightly. He got there way too quick. That was not Sergio Castillo's fault. But when you look at it, it's a pretty good first half. Solid enough, right? Defense wasn't there. Wasn't going to be. But offensively, solid enough. But we know, after what we saw last week, what we've seen every single week, it's been, it was this with Todd Bowles, it's been worse with Adam Gase, and I think it's been even worse with Dawa Loggins calling plays now because this is his second week. Just like the Bills game, first half you're saying, ah, Dowell's got some creativity. See, he's a much better play caller than Adam Gase. This guy, he's got some stuff going on. But then the Bills game, the second half, the New York Jets totaled four yards in the entire second half. So we were thinking that going into this. We said, all right, we're watching this Chiefs game. Jets are playing pretty well. And we're like, you know what? Last week, we were thinking the exact same thing. And then it was really bad in the second half. So we were nervous. We were hesitant to be too excited, and rightfully so, because when this second half began, the New York Jets began, punt, 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 fumble, punt, punt, end game. That's it. Punts and fumbles. They never got in field goal range again for the remainder of the game. They never sniffed the end zone on a touchdown. They didn't move the ball downfield, and they had something like, I don't know the exact number, but it was between like 40 and 50 yards in the second half total. And whatever we had moving and working in the beginning on offense, it was not there for the second half. And when you look at that, the reasoning typically, you would think, is the play calling has been figured out by the opposing team at halftime. Halftime adjustments are made. You go in, you take a look at your Microsoft services or whatever. You say, this is what they're running. This is where they're finding success. This is how we adapt. Next half, let's try more of this to make sure that we take that sort of play out of this game. That's where they're finding success. The Chiefs do that. They do that to the New York Jets. They take away our success. We don't do that to the Kansas City Chiefs. They continue to play pretty well. Um, they score two more touchdowns in the half to get to 35 points. Now, we did force three punts. Two punts, rather. Two turnovers on down. But offensively, you need to be able to come out of the half. And if you're finding success in the first half, you need to be willing to continue that same strategy because it worked right you don't need to just go changing stuff for the sake of changing stuff but the minute you see that they're adapting you have to kind of be ready for all right we're going to expect that they saw us doing this they're probably going to make x changes to counter that if we see them doing that then we pull this out right it's just trying to be one step ahead of your opponent it's a chess match and you have to be thinking that way the new york jets have proven that they cannot think that way Dabo logins cannot adam gase cannot and the offense struggles, specifically in the second half, because of it. So really tough game, 35-9. to nine. When you look at the total thing, the total package of this game, it really isn't as bad as it could have been, but we didn't even cover the spread of 19 to 20 points. So we still did play a pretty crappy game. Going over to the team stats, let's look at some of those things in this game. The Chiefs basically doubled the Jets in first downs, 25-13. to 13. We had 221 yards. Chiefs had almost 500. Had 496. Our yards per play. This is just the New York Jets of 2020. 3.9 yards per play. The Chiefs, nice, powerful offense, 
who only passed for 128 yards to their 446. Now, one of the areas of success for the New York Jets was the rush defense. They held the Chiefs to only 50 yards rushing on 2.5 yards per rush. That's important because we're playing against Le'Veon Bell and all that and everything. But when you're playing a team like the Chiefs, you got to try to keep them one-dimensional. At least you can't have them beating you in all areas. I think they would have loved to run all over the Jets, but they couldn't find it today. Instead, Patrick Mahomes torched them for 416 and 5. But the Jets, they ran for 93 yards. So to the Chiefs' 50, we got 93. And to their 2.5 yards per rush, the New York Jets actually totaled 3.7, which is not the efficiency you're looking for. You're looking for 4.0 plus, but it's definitely more efficient than them. When it came to penalties, the Jets only had three penalties for 25 yards. That's really good for the New York Jets, really good for them this season. The Chiefs had seven for 61, so we beat them there. We only had one turnover in the game, and it wasn't by a quarterback. It was by a stupid tight end. And other than that, we held onto the ball pretty well. So when you're talking about rushing the ball decently well, minimal penalties, not turning the ball over other than the one, the Jets, Sam Darnold was only sacked one time for five yards. Unfortunately, we didn't sack Patrick Mahomes at all. We almost had him. Quinn almost had him on a sack, but we didn't get him. But when you look at that, you know, one sack against, one fumble lost, three penalties in the game. The Jets didn't beat themselves which is why when you watch the game, it didn't feel as ugly as it could have been because the Jets played a bad game. If they were getting penalties and fumbling and intercepting and giving up sacks and whatnot, this game could have been really ugly. We kept it to a, we kept it to 35-9 to nine by playing pretty clean football. and uh, That's just a, a sent statement on how much better the Kansas City Chiefs are than the New York Jets. So those are our team stats. Uh, one thing that we've been focusing on this year is third down efficiency. We knew that we were last in the NFL at 30%. And then last week, we were at 25%, which was worse. This week, we were 2 for 12, which is even worse than 25%. So the worst third down conversion percentage the New York Jets continue to hold continues to go down and regress week after week. Pretty pathetic on third downs. The Jets were, on fourth down, 2 out of 2, which is a slight improvement over what they've been doing this year. They did hold the Chiefs to 1 for 3, which is pretty good stout defense at the times when it happened. That is what is up with team stats. All right, we are going to move over to player performances, beginning with the offense. But before we do that, we got to take a little pit stop at the cooler for some What's on Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's on Tap. And today I am drinking my favorite beer of all time, the greatest beer I've ever drank. I may have even drank it on the show before. And for that, I would not apologize because it's just that good. It is Swish by Bissell Brothers. And it's one of those beers that I got on the uh, engagement weekend up with fiance Shannon in Maine, what, two weeks ago? And this beer is so freaking good. It reminds me of, like, what you would expect from a treehouse beer, like a Julius with that sort of flavor profile. But this thing is, it's, it's like... It's hazy, but it's not thick. It's not too sweet. It's a little bitter, but it's got that. It's got some juiciness to it. It's 8% alcohol. It's in this really cool black can, and uh, it's delicious. So Bissell Brothers Swish, it's uh, one of the top-rated IPAs or double IPAs, whichever it is, um, in the world. And they don't make it very often. It's limited releases. They do like, I don't know what it is, four or five a year or so. And I happened to look on the website of Bissell Brothers before I went up for the weekend with fiance Shannon. 
and they said they were going to be doing one of their releases then, but you had to be on a pre-order. So you had to be like a week in advance. You had to pick a time slot. You had to log on at 7.30 on a Tuesday. So I did that because I was like, all right, perfect. This is all going to work out great. I got up there. The dude selling it to me told me 420 cases of this stuff sold out in four minutes. Four minutes. The pre-order was just done. 420 cases. All right. That's the allotment. I didn't realize that I needed to be so hurried there because it took me like three minutes. I was kind of just like meandering around wondering like, hmm, do I want five or six? Little did I know it was like I was up against the glass there. But this beer, 8%, I mean, it, it's so good. And the guy described it to me because I told him it's my favorite beer. And he goes, what's so amazing about it is it tastes like you're drinking a 6% beer and it goes straight to your head. So when you're trying to drink for some sort of effect, um, a lot of those 8% beers, 9% beers, they're boozy. But this one, like, you know how you take a big sip of Gatorade every time you sip it, but, like, when you drink cranberry juice, you just, like, naturally take a smaller sip? This Bissell Brothers Swish drinks like a Gatorade, where most IPAs drink, like, a cranberry juice. And for 8%, at the higher end of them, you can't beat it. So this is my favorite beer. Swish, Bissell Brothers, it's up in, uh, what is it, either Freeport, Maine, or I think it's in Portland, actually. So if you're up there, take a look ahead of time, see if they're going to be doing a release and, and grab some. And if they ask you, get the most you can possibly get, and then just give them to your friends or whatever because you're going to love it. It's just that good. Anyways, that is what's on tap. That's what I've been enjoying. And we will move on. But first, before we do, commercial. All right, everybody, welcome back. I hope that was some riveting stuff. We are going to move over to player performances from the Jets versus Chiefs loss. We will start with the offense, and with that, we will start with our guy, Sammy Darnold. Sam Darnold in this game was 18 for 30, so over 50%. Not that that means much, but 133 yards, 4.4 yards per attempt, a 70 quarterback rating, no touchdowns, no interceptions, sacked one time. Sam Darnold in this game looked, he looked so much better in the first half. It's so difficult to evaluate these guys in these games. The stats are there in the first half, they're gone in the second half, and it's almost like the entire game ends at halftime. Whatever you saw from your players, it just ended there. You didn't see anything else in terms of evaluation. It's just three and outs and punts, and it's it's ridiculous that it's like that. Um, Sam Darnold, he had a decent game. I think that he had one of his better first halves in this one, leading the Jets to three consecutive scoring drives and almost a fourth. But then after that, it was basically over. And it was just too much. It was too much. We're going to go to the receivers now. We're going to skip running backs because I think it's a good um, shift into it. It was too much of a focus on a guy like Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith is not going to be part of the future for the New York Jets. Second, Prashad Perriman is available. Jeff Smith will be the first guy out. Second, Jamison Crowder will be available. Braxton Berrios will be the first guy out. Those two players combined for 19 targets. And still, with 19 targets, they had under 70 yards. 11 catches between the two of them. Braxton Berrios had 8 catches for 34 yards on 11 targets. Jeff Smith had 3 catches for 29 yards on 8 targets. So Braxton Berrios, he's getting the lion's share of these playing that slot role. We've seen that kind of the focal point of the Jets' offense this year. It's better with Crowder there, but they're given like these bubble screens. Braxton Berrios is a serviceable slot player, good punt returner. He's somewhat reliable, right? He's not going to be a starter for your team, but it's a guy that you're not afraid to put in if he's your one 
replacement player in the receiving game. Somebody's a little nicked up, put him in at the slot. He can get stuff done. But he gets tackled so easily. He's so flimsy that you can't do these screens to him because if a guy just touches him with their wrist, he goes down. And that happened consistently. So he had eight catches for 34 yards. Jeff Smith, a guy that's, you know, barely on the field just because Brashad Perriman's out. We've had injuries to players all season long. He's getting playing time. Eight, eight targets. He gets three catches, 29 yards. And he's just not a good enough player. I think that he provided a spark compared to players like Chris Hogan and Josh Malone early on. But as you've started to get players back, you've started to see some of the offense rolling at its best with Crowder, with Denzel Mims now. I think that you've started to notice that Jeff Smith really isn't part of the future for the team. And then the saddest part of the whole thing is the one guy that you really want to see, the one guy that you're evaluating that's going to be a part of this, that when Braxton Berry, or that when um, Brashad Perriman and Jamison Crowder are back, the one guy that will remain in the lineup is Denzel Mims. He gets three targets in this game. Two receptions, both of them in the first half, for 42 yards. Last week, he had four catches for 42 yards, all in the first half. This week, two catches for 42 yards, all in the first half. He's yet to get a reception in the second half of a game. Now, Denzel Mims had an incredible catch. His long in this game, 27-yarder, one of the Jets' longer pass plays of the entire season. He was on the right side of the field, this kind of like fade in the middle of the field. Sam Darnold throws towards the sideline. He turns his body, catches it over his head, falls on his back by the sideline. It was very similar to some of the highlights that you'd see from him and Baylor when we were kind of like getting ourselves prepped for the style of play that he has. That's Denzel Mims right there. He gets the ball at the high point. He actually almost had another nice catch in this game, but it was knocked out. Good defensive play by the Kansas City Chiefs defender. But you want to see Denzel Mims get more involved. You've got 19 combined targets between Barrios and Smith, and Denzel Mims gets three. You need to find a way to dial stuff up to him. How come you can do screens to a guy like Braxton Barrios who can't run for any yardage after the catch because he gets tackled so easily, but you can't dial up a screen for a guy like Denzel Mims? And if it's the case that Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs are looking at the New York Jets saying, well, Denzel Mims is the only real threat on this team, so we're going to take him out of the game, then that's really disappointing we got to wait for guys like Prashad Perriman and Jamison Crowder to come back to take a little bit away, spotlight of Denzel Mims, if that's what it's at. Or it's just Dowell Loggins and Adam Gay saying, we need to start you know, focusing on other players, which doesn't make any sense. So anyways, Denzel Mims continues to play well. I think we said last week that you know if you're getting 40 to 50 yards consistently per game, I'm going to be happy with your performance. If you start getting kind of like you know, 15-yard games or zero-yard games, disappearing from the stat sheet in the game entirely. That's when I start to worry. It happens frequently, specifically. It was always one of my big, kind of like, big issues with Robbie Anderson was sometimes he would disappear. And uh, don't get me wrong, he was definitely a good player. I wanted to keep him. But when I did get on him, that was the reason why. Denzel Mims so far has been consistent. We just need to see him do it in the second half. He can't get taken away like that. We got to get guys like Jamison Crowder and even Perriman, he's not that talented, but if we can get him back out there a little better than Jeff Smith, maybe Denzel Mims will find a little bit more success, and the Jets can get a little bit more going in the second half of a game. The other receivers, big play Vincent Smith, one catch, 13 yards on one target. You had Chris Herndon. He had one catch, three yards. On that play, he fumbled it, lost the ball, only turnover of the game on his only catch on two targets. 
Chris Herdman is our doghouse player of the game for the seventh time out of eight games this year. I really feel bad for Vincent Smith for giving it to him that one time, like week five or six when he came back and I gave him doghouse player for a bobbled thing. Chris Herndon didn't do anything in the game. He just didn't catch the ball at all. Just a non-factor running ghost routes. Um, I gave it to Vincent Smith in that game. I wish it was just Chris Herndon across the board for eight weeks. If I could amend that and just make it Chris Herndon. He is so freaking bad. This guy is terrible. He's still getting the most snap percentage of any single tight end of the New York Jets roster. Ryan Griffin, a guy that they gave an extension to, that's potentially got some ability to play with the offense, is catching the ball never. Chris Herndon hardly ever. And when he does, this is his second fumble on the season. He is so, 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 so bad. He's so bad. We've never had a player as bad as Chris Herndon this year, in my opinion. He can't get open. He's on the field all the time. And the very few times that he does catch the ball, he fumbles. He has no touchdowns, no big plays, two fumbles. He's horrific. It's it's embarrassing. Chris Herndon, you got to go. Tight end is one of the biggest needs for the New York Jets for next season. I'm already starting to scout those guys because every week watching Chris Herndon, it's like, yikes, this, this cannot be our future. He's got to get off this team. If he wants to go find success elsewhere, good luck. But he's like becoming Darren Lee. This guy is pretty terrible. Doghouse player of the week. Moving on from him. Can't talk about him anymore. Two catches for our running backs. Ty Johnson had one for six. LaMichael Pirine had two for six. And that's a good segue into our running backs because LaMichael Pirine and Ty Johnson are our two younger guys that Jets are working on getting involved in the offense. Ty Johnson, last year's sixth-round pick by the Lions. LaMichael Pirine, this year, fourth-round pick by the Jets, potentially going to be part of the future. Now, neither one of these guys is ever going to be, in my opinion, a workhorse-style back who's getting consistent lion's share carries week after week on a good team. I think that LaMichael Pirine is a good player, but I think that he's one of those Bilal Powell-type roles. I think that as good as Bilal Powell was, he was never going to be the bell cow for any team. He didn't go to the Jets when he was a free agent. Or he didn't leave the Jets when he was a free agent because there weren't those opportunities out there. As much as we love him, as great as Bilal Powell was, super serviceable, reliable, could do a little bit of everything. But he was never a guy that you were like, if we could give him 300 rushes on a season, that's when this team's going to take off. He was a nice mix-in player. And I think that LaMichael Pirine is trending towards being that exact same thing. It's a very serviceable position, but it's not, you know, you still want to have a Chris Ivory or a Matt Forte or another player in the mix, Isaiah Crowell. There was always another guy with Powell. I think Pirine is going to be that type of thing too. Question is, is Ty Johnson going to be that guy? Do you sign a guy in free agency next year? There are some good free agent running backs coming up next year. James Conner, Chris Carson, Gus Edwards, Kenyon Drake, those guys come to mind. Could look at one of them. Or potentially go after somebody in the draft. A guy like Travis Etienne. Or Master Teague from Ohio State. There's a bunch of guys coming out. The potentially the Jets could pair with Michael P. Ryan. But P. Ryan has been serviceable. He's been mixing up Frank Gore and P. Ryan primarily. With Ty Johnson is kind of like that shifty little guy. And Ty Johnson, you know, he had that one catch six yards. He also had three rushes for 15 yards, playing only 11% of snaps. It was the highest yard per carry average for any of our running backs. That was the highest yards per catch for any of our running backs. Now, granted, it's four total touches. But so far, liked what I've seen from him. Frank Gore, 10 carries, 30 yards, 3.0 average. His long in this game, seven yards. Not a great game from Frank Gore. 
but consistently was moving forward. Wasn't getting tackled in the backfield very often. Michael P. Ryan, eight carries, 27 yards, a little bit more efficient than Frank Gore. His long was nine yards. If you remember that nine-yard run, it was really like a 12-yard run. That instead of giving the Jets a first down, they gave him an and one, which ridiculous. I have no idea how he launched forward over the line, but nine yards was his long in this game. So P. Ryan, slightly better than Frank Gore in this one. When you look at the offensive line, I think that we're starting to get a little bit of continuity there. Barely any penalties in this game. Only gave up one sack. We ran the ball for 93 yards, which is solid in a game where running definitely is not the uh, the MO, especially in the second half. And you look across the board, this is a better group than what we had last week with David Andrews in there. Alex Lewis replacing him is better. I'd still like to get rookie Cameron Clark mixed in instead of Alex Lewis to see what he can do in that spot because I still think that's our area of weakness. But across the board, this offensive line has been so much more reliable and disciplined than the team from last year and the year before and the year before that. I mean, we had a lot of issues, a lot of breakdowns, and there are still moments where Sam Darnold gets hit and there are penalties that we shouldn't get, but there are so many less bad errant snaps, horrible penalties, miscommunications. I think this line is getting better, and the biggest reason of that is our offensive player of the game in this week, Makai Becton, who is an absolute dominant monster. This guy, he should be in the rookie of the year conversation. Everybody wants to look at Herbert and Burrow because those are the big names. But Makai Becton is a freak. He is on pace to be the best left tackle in football, in my opinion. This guy is dominant. He's playing against players like Chris Jones, Frank Clark in this game, really good defensive players. He's upending them. He's getting. We only ran like two times to his side, and Adam Gase said, and he was like, yeah, we really we had success to the left side. We wanted to do it more, but... You know, we didn't really get a chance to do that, and the game didn't work that way. It's like, really, when you got a guy like Makai Becton and he's blocking that well, make the game work that way. You're a coach. It's literally up to you. Make that happen. Because there are some clips you'll find them online of, of Makai Becton just lifting Frank Clark off the ground and just about to annihilate this guy. Now, a little help from Alex Lewis. But he is as advertised. And I am very comfortable saying that if I could go back and take any single player from the 2020 NFL draft, there is not a single player I would want more than Makai Becton on my team. Left tackle is that important of a position, and this guy is that good. He will make mistakes here and there. He'll get penalties here and there. He'll get missed assignments, and he'll give up sacks here and there. But he's super young. He's only going to get better as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood. He's only going to get better. This is like the worst Makai Becton we're ever going to see right now. And this is how good he is. It's unbelievable what's what's ahead of him. And I hope that we can get more players that are, you know, willing to fight as hard as he is. as tough, strong, gritty. Maybe they're not as big. But we need that kind of energy on that offensive line to keep whatever quarterback we have back there upright to make big holes for our running backs. And uh, you're just seeing what one guy can do. One Makai Becton over... Uh, a guy like Kelvin Beecham, who wasn't horrible. What he can do. This play right now for Mikai Becton is better than anything I ever saw from DeBrickershaw Ferguson, who's one of my favorite Jets of all time. Great New York Jet. This play right now surpasses that greatly. Mikai Becton is our offensive player of the game. And I would not be surprised if he got more this year. 
All right, so we will move over to the defense. We are saving Father Time because Father Time fits in well with the Patriots preview, so that's where we're going to do it. Instead, we will do defense right now. And defense, we will start on the defensive line. And we just did one player of the game, so why not do another? Brr, drum roll, please. Our defensive player of the game, Quinnen Williams. And why is Quinnen Williams the defensive player of the game? Well, we gave up 35 points. We forced a couple punts, but had no sacks, no turnovers, no huge plays. But Quinnen Williams had a quarterback hit on what could have been a sack on Patrick Mahomes. Very close. He had a really nice tackle for loss. And he's actually the only player in the entire Jets that had both a quarterback hit and a tackle in the backfield. When you look at the Kansas City Chiefs running game, Le'Veon Bell, this is great, by the way. Le'Veon Bell, who everyone was worried was going to torch the New York Jets in some sort of a revenge game, he had six carries for seven yards. 1.2 yards per carry. We're talking about a Saquon Barkley-level bad game against the New York Jets. Six carries, seven yards. His long was four. He got stopped out of fourth down conversion attempt and uh, turned the ball over there. So, really good run defense against him. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, six carries, 21 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. The team... As a whole, the Kansas City Chiefs, 2.5 yards per carry. And when you look at the middle of the defense, the player playing the most snaps in the defensive line, stout, sturdy, strong in the middle, one Quinn Williams. Now, he had three tackles in this game, one of those tackles for a loss. He had that quarterback hit. But you got those unseen, those hidden numbers. When he drives in the middle, takes two offensive linemen sometimes you block almost as a defensive lineman if you can take two blockers out of the play then you open up a hole for somebody else to make the play Quinn Williams does that sort of stuff and sometimes he doesn't make the tackle but his presence and his push and his effort on other plays creates plays for other players in the run game and when you see him being the only guy getting a quarterback hit and tackle for a loss you see them running for 2.5 yards you see him all over the field getting good push and Patrick Mahomes wasn't uncomfortable, but when he was, typically, it was Quinn Williams back there. Quinn Williams gets your defensive player of the game. And that is not his first one this year. Quinn Williams is having a very good season. I'm looking at my board right now. I have at least three. I've got to be a little more on top of this board. But i got at least three player of the games for Quinn Williams. So for those of you saying that Quinn is not a very good player, not that the New York Jets team isn't very good, but Quinn Williams is... He's still got elite potential. That is not out the window yet. Not even close. The rest of the defensive line, pretty quiet. We didn't have very many quarterback hits in this game. A couple of them. We had one from Henry Anderson. I don't know where that happened. Henry Anderson has been just miserable this season. He's getting paid way too much money. Can't wait till he's off the books. He was a good signing when we signed him. Bad signing now. Oli Fadikasi getting some playing time. He was making some tackles. He actually had five tackles in this game, so that's pretty good to see from him. Uh, Nathan Shepard moved in. You've got Jordan Willis gone. You've got Steve McClendon gone, so you've definitely got a little bit more timeshare available for these guys. Nathan Shepard's playing some, but he's not getting a lot of uh, impact in there. Bryce Huff actually played a career-high 70% to the New York Jets in this game, so it's nice to see him getting a little love from the defensive coach. You see uh, Bryce Huff has been playing well all season. He's one player of the game defensively for the New York Jets. And as an undrafted free agent, these are the types of guys that we want to evaluate. I'm glad we're getting them on the field. Jabari Zanigo was out there very, very sparingly. So we didn't get a good chance to really see what he looks like. He played nine plays in this game. But he made a tackle. 
And it's just good to see that he actually is getting on the field because he's one of those guys that we're going to want to evaluate as the year goes on. And he's not going to play 14% of snaps every week. Not with the pass rush that the New York Jets have. He's going to have to have some sort of involvement out there. We are not getting anything from Jordan Jenkins, nothing from Frankie Louvu. Harvey Lange can't do diddly squat. And every once in a while, Terrell Basham makes a play. When you look at guys like Henry Anderson, nothing. Hal Phillips injured. Nathan Shepard, nothing. There's plenty of room for Jamari Saniga to get some playing time. So we're going to see more as it goes on. He's one of those guys that for sure we need to be monitoring. He's one of the most important players on the team right now. Linebackers, Avery Williamson led the team in tackles. He's not going to be on the team moving forward. Neville Hewitt, I mean, what do you expect? Neville Hewitt is the most consistent Neville Hewitt in the world. He's just a decent run stopper. Every once in a while, he's in the right place at the right time. He doesn't ever wow you other than like a nice tackle. That's what he did this week. Going over to the defensive backs, I think that I really wanted to give player of the game to Blashawn Austin. I think that Blashawn Austin is clearly our best cornerback on the team. Better than Pierre Desir. Pierre Desir is a feast or famine, very undisciplined, inconsistent style cornerback. Blashawn Austin is the opposite. He's pretty conservative. He's kind of more of a man guy. You know, if the way I see it, if Pierre Desir, he's kind of Antonio Cromartie. LaShawn Austin, he plays a little bit more like Jarrell Rebus. Now, nowhere near to that level, but that's the play style. LaShawn Austin has been doing good coverage in this season. He hasn't been burned too many times, and he was making really nice tackles on screen plays. I mean, he has blown up screen passes four times in the past two weeks with really nice tackles, getting to the ball, and that's the type of stuff that you love to see on a flat defense like this, getting out there and making big plays, and Bless Austin was doing that. Play after play this week, and I wanted to give it to him. But when your opponent throws on you for 416 yards, five touchdowns, at least one of those touchdowns was against the man that LaShawn Austin was guarding, it's like you can't really give him praise for that, but I just want everybody to know that he's an honorable mention because it was a good performance from him otherwise. Marcus May, you know, the Jets didn't give up too many big plays in this game, believe it or not. I mean, they gave up one 41-yarder to Tyreek Hill. But other than that, they only had one play over 30 yards. And considering this offense and its firepower and Patrick Mahomes' 400-plus yards, you'd think they would have some more big plays downfield. Marcus May has done a pretty good job limiting those. I know it's hard to remember, but three, four years ago, especially like when we had Daryl Roberts playing safety, or, you know, that season when we were doing all that experiment, we were giving up so many big plays. I'm talking about like 60-yard or 70-yarders. Oh, they're starting the 20-yard line. Boom, touchdown, because nobody's back there. That doesn't happen anymore this year. That's part of that bend-don't-break Greg Williams-style defense. Unfortunately, that's taking a lot of Marcus May's energy. He blitzes sometimes, but he doesn't have the aggressiveness that a guy like Jamal Adams has. So even though you're blitzing a safety position in the same sort of a blitz, Marcus May gets picked up a lot easier. He doesn't have the same pursuit and just, like, bite and grind that Adams has going after the quarterback. So he gets picked up pretty easily. And uh, it's not been a horrible year for him, but it's not been flashy by any means. The other guy with with uh, Bradley McDougald on IR for the next three-plus weeks, Ashton Davis, rookie draft pick by the New York Jets, gets his chance to play and start, plays 100% of snaps in this game, and he plays... Okay, again, Patrick Mahomes throws 416 yards and five touchdowns, so no defensive back is going to be getting player of the game or going to be really blowing our mind in this one. We didn't force any turnovers, nothing like that. 
Ashton Davis. But when you look at it as a safety, they only had that one big play, that 41-yarder, and that touchdown to Tyreek Hill was Ashton Davis's covering, and I think that he was keeping up with him, but then he stumbled. Tyreek Hill got a touchdown. That is on Ashton Davis. That was a mistake. When a guy runs a 4-2 and you run a 4-2, you don't get the luxury of stumbling and catching back up. He's fast as heck, and you can't stumble. That's just part of coverage. You don't stumble when you're covering a guy. He's a rookie. We're going to give him a pass on it. I don't think it's something he's going to do all the time. I think that he probably was going as fast as he possibly could to keep up with Tyreek Hill, and sometimes that happens. Hint, hint, Daniel Jones. We've seen him do it. Sometimes you run too fast. Uh, maybe that's what the case was there. Not many times he's going to have to run that quick to keep up with a guy. But uh, that one was on him. I think overall, playing 100% of snaps, he was not as big a liability as you might imagine he'd be against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. But it's one game, plenty of evaluation to come. So we will go to, I guess it's time for a commercial. Do that now. All right, everybody, welcome back. Before we move over to a Patriots preview, we are going to do a little father time. My dad gave a submission, an entry, whatever you call it, his thoughts this week in uh, email form of what he thinks about this upcoming game against the New England Patriots. It is titled, Is the Asterisk Lurking? In case you don't know, the asterisk is what he refers to Bill Belichick as because Bill Belichick has cheated his entire career and everything that he does should have an asterisk because he is known for cheating consistently. So that's why he calls him the asterisk. So anyways, this is the father time written by my father, David Burnham. Here we go. The Jets play their arch villain and rival Bill Belichick asterisk and the Patriots. The Patriots have been a major thorn in the Jets side for decades. And so far this year, they're a dismal two and five. Now that Brady is gone and the Pats have been beaten into submission this year, could they pull another nefarious stunt on national television? Could Belichick asterisk throw the game knowing that they could draft a quarterback star in, in Trevor Lawrence, who could be a thorn in New England side for 20 years? One game in COVID 2020 to avoid a star quarterback, a la Brady. The Jets have one of the hardest schedules in the NFL this season, ranked harder than the Giants, Jags, and Texans. If the Jets are tied by these or other teams, the Jets will pick after those tied to them because of strength of schedule. Will both, will both front offices be celebrating if the Jets win? Would the Asterisk lose one game on purpose in order to save many other defeats if the Jets draft Lawrence, the quote-unquote generational talent? I really wouldn't put it past him. Go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's father time. As you can see, my dad... Getting a little conspiracy theory related on this one, thinking that it's possible that Bill Belichick, or as he calls him, Asterisk, would do something to potentially throw this game because the New York Jets in the driver's seat for the first overall pick. Everybody's talking like Trevor Lawrence is the guy. We've heard it for two years now. Trevor Lawrence is the player that could change everything. He's a generational talent. We've heard that time and time again. Bill Belichick, he knows what's going on. He knows what the Jets are doing. He knows what's in the draft. He knows, you know, he's... One of those guys that's just thinking about what Joe Douglas is doing, trying to be one step ahead all the time. Is it possible that he would lose this game on purpose? I agree with my dad in that I wouldn't put it past him. I think that that's something that crosses his mind. I think that it's one of those scenarios where if he does lose, he sees the positive side of it. I don't think he's going to throw the game. I think that on national television, 
The last thing Bill Belichick wants to do is lose to the worst team in football and go 2-6 and six losing that horribly on national television to the worst team the year after Brady leaves. It would just kind of be a huge stain on like, wow, Brady left and you can't even beat the Jets on Monday Night Football. I think that his ego gets in the way, but I do think he's thinking to himself, I don't want the Jets to be happy. I think he's always thought that way. He screwed us back with the coaching gig when he went to go to the Patriots and left the New York Jets hanging. Year after year, he has proven his distaste for the New York Jets organization. And, yeah, I think that he would love to see us flounder. I don't know if he wants to be the team that loses to us, but he does not want to see the New York Jets in the driver's seat getting Trevor Lawrence. So I think that when it comes down to it, when you look at this week, I think that it's possible that he would do that. And this is a conspiracy. You know, it's all hypothetical. We'll never really know what his intentions are. If the Jets win this game, we won't know that he purposely tried to throw it or if we came out and played. You know, if we lose the game, we won't know if he was trying to lose it and we just played so badly and he couldn't do it or if they just beat, the, beat us because they wanted to and they're better. We'll never know. But I think that one big sign in this whole thing is going to be when the injury reports come out, the best way for Bill Belichick to lose to the New York Jets on purpose would be to be playing backup players and scrubs that would basically lose the game for him and give him an easy excuse. So if you see guys like Cam Newton not playing this week or if they start Jarrett Studem, Jarrett Stidham or um, Brian Hoyer, that's a big sign that, like, okay, maybe they're not trying to win this game. If you see some of the running backs or other players, they're talented on their team. On the injury report, when you're not really remembering them ever getting injured, then that's a big sign. Otherwise, if everybody's out there and they're playing Cam Newton and everybody else, I have a hard time believing that they're going to try to lose this game on purpose. I get where my dad's coming from because Bill Belichick is a horrible, nasty, spiteful little man, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I want the Jets to win this game. A lot of people want the New York Jets to lose. They want first overall pick. In my opinion, Joe Douglas has already given himself more cap space than most teams in 2021. He's given himself more draft picks and first round picks than almost any other team in 2021 and in 2022. He's made trades to get more picks. And he's going to get to pick his head coach. In my opinion... If he needs the first overall pick to make this team successful, then he's not the right man for the job. I think the Jets can be successful picking first. I think they can be successful picking fifth, sixth, seventh. They still have all that draft capital. They still have all that money. If Joe Douglas is the right man for the job, he doesn't need the first overall pick to get that done, in my opinion. And I'm going to be watching for two more months. I don't want to watch the Jets just lose week after week. I don't want to be an 0-16 team in the same category as the Lions and Browns. I want to try to win some games, but I do get the value of that number one pick. Whether you draft from that position or whether you trade it for more assets, there's value there for sure. So I get it, but I'd like to win in this game. I'm seeing the New York Jets projected to lose seven point underdogs, which is actually better than maybe any game the Jets have played so far this season, except for the Broncos. So that's pretty incredible. The Patriots, as my dad said, are they're two and five. They're third in the AFC East. Buffalo 6-2, and two, Miami 4-3. and three. Miami's two full games ahead of New England, who's 2-5 and five, with a negative point differential, and it's falling apart for them. It's possible they'll be looking for a guy like Trevor Lawrence. They clearly don't have a quarterback. I mean, maybe Bill wants to find a way to get close enough to make a trade-up for the number one pick. I hope that doesn't happen, 
but it's all possible. So in this game, you're looking at it. I mean, it's potentially going to be Cam Newton. He's been struggling this year. He started off pretty well, like the first three weeks of the season, playing good football. Ever since he got stopped against the Seahawks on a, a goal line run at the end of the game, it was like, score it, win the game, don't score it, lose the game. He's Superman from like five yards away, dove to the three-yard line, got tackled, and the game was over. Ever since then, he has been just consistently blowing it in the fourth quarter with opportunities to win. We saw him do it a couple weeks ago. Incomplete pass, lose the game. This week against the Bills division rival, they really wanted this one to try to get back in the division race. A division that technically isn't all that scary, especially if Buffalo loses this week and goes to 5-3. and three. But Cam Newton again, trying to be a hero, fumbling the ball. At the very end of the game, last drive, game over. New England is not the team that they used to be. The dynasty is absolutely over. Bill Belichick clearly in no way was able to carry over the same success that he had with Tom Brady. And you can look at the team and say, well, the Jet, the Patriots don't have any talent there. They don't have any receivers. They don't have any tight ends. What did they have last year when the Patriots won the division? Did they have great receivers last year? They still had Nikhil Harry and Bird and a couple other guys I don't even remember that aren't on the team anymore with Julian Edelman. They didn't have good tight ends then either. I mean, this is just a really bad team. And Bill Belichick is not capable of of getting these players without Tom Brady to win a game. Their defense is bad. Their offense is bad. And when you look at it, the biggest complaint or the biggest criticism of this team right now is the lack of talent. They just don't have good players at skill positions. They don't have good players on defense. Bill Belichick is the general manager of the New England Patriots. He's head coach, but he's he doubles the GM. So he makes the draft picks. He makes the free agent decisions. And frankly, he does a bad job at it. And this is the result of the team that he picks to create. So it's very nice to see just how horrible Bill Belichick and the Patriots are in reality once Tom Brady leaves. Of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are potentially the best team in the NFC East or the NFC entirely. And Tom Brady's playing great this year. Potential MVP guy when the, when the year's all said and done, but... I would rather success for Tom Brady than success for the New England Patriots organization any day of the week. And if you're looking at it now wondering, you know, what came first, chicken or the egg? Did Brady make Belichick or vice versa? I think the answer is becoming pretty darn clear, at least for me. So the New York Jets are going to be underdogs in this game. Sam Darnold's got an aggravated shoulder. He got tackled in this game and potentially injured that. They gave him an MRI. No structural damage or anything, but it looked like it was re-aggravated. Adam Geese was quoted as saying that he wants to get Sam Darnold out there because he gives the Jets the best chance to win, which kind of just feeds into the fact that Adam Gase is willing to play injured players, willing to re-aggravate injuries and make things worse to try to win a game, which still doesn't even happen and has cost the Jets some injuries at times when they shouldn't have had them this year. It's just bad coaching by Adam Gase. Uh, If Sam Darnold is injured, he should sit the week out. If Sam Darnold is fine, he should play. I want to watch Sam Darnold play. I want to watch Denzel Mims get 42 Plus yards. Again, if he gets 42 yards every week, I'll be happy with that. But if he can surpass that, if he can get his first touchdown, if we can see guys like LaMichael Pirine pop, Mekhi Becton plant some of those Patriots defensive linemen, that would be awesome. Defensively, Jabari Zaniga, can he start popping? Ashton Davis, going to be playing safety 100% of the snaps again. Can he pop make a big play? Quinnen Williams, does he continue his nightmare wrecking crew, defensive player of the game. Does he keep on crushing it? 
And honestly, for me, I really want to see Cameron Clark in there. I'm hoping that Cameron Clark is getting healthy and something is happening to Alex Lewis where he's not able to play and Cameron Clark has to go in there because I don't think they want to put David Andrews back in there again. I really want to see Cameron Clark play. Bryce Hall, he's one of those guys that's going to be eligible to start playing for the New York Jets soon. He's a cornerback. He may be able to replace, you know, he might not replace Pierre Desir or Blashawn Austin right away, but a guy like this week, Arthur Marlette's back, and he played 30% or so of snaps as a third outside cornerback and, you know, filling in the slot if he needs to. Perhaps Bryce Hall will get an opportunity like that to take that position and play 30% of snaps just to get his feet wet a little bit. But in my opinion... LaShawn Austin is supposed to be starting. He's the best one. I think you could take Pierre Desir out and put in a player with a lot more potential and upside in Bryce Hall. And if it doesn't work out, Pierre Desir is still there. You can always fall back on him. But it's more important to see what we've got in Bryce Hall this year because we got we got work to do next year. we got a lot of money to spend. we got a lot of draft picks. But we got to make sure we're taking them at the right spots. And to know what spots those are, we got to know what spots we have filled. That's not very many. We don't have very many spots filled for next year. And in a way, that's okay. Because we got a ton of draft picks. We got a ton of money. So that stuff kind of balances out a little bit. But we got to figure out what spots are filled. We got eight weeks to do it. I think we're starting to see a little bit some of those, you know, left tackles done for 10 years. Barring something catastrophic, left tackle is done. I think one of our wide receivers looks like it's done. Mims is making nice plays. He's just not getting the ball to him. But he has as much talent as any wide receiver that we've had out there in a long time that wasn't just like a one or two year rental player for the Jets. You know, Eric Decker was good. Brandon Marshall was here for a little bit of time. He was really good. We've we've rented other players from other teams for a year or two. But for guys that we're bringing in, Denzel Mims, I mean, he looks like he's got some goods to him. I'm going to be watching him, watching everybody else, all the young guys doing some evaluation. Looking forward to this week. It's Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football against the Patriots. It's our last primetime game of the season. It's Monday Night Football. Let's go out and play our best game of the season. Let's get Sam Darnold out there healthy. Let's dominate. Let's show them what these rookies, what this Joe Douglas draft class can do and why the New York Jets aren't doomed forever, why we're taking steps in the right direction. Let's show them that. I'm looking forward to this week. I'll be rooting for a win, but I will also be cheering for the value of a loss if that's what happens. I guess it's a win-win or a lose-lose, either way you put it, but that's kind of what the season is. Why should there be any real happiness? It should always be kind of like clouded with, yeah, it also kind of sucks, whatever it is. There shouldn't be any real happiness in 2020 for the New York Jets. Thank you for joining me for this week. I look forward to talking about the New York Jets versus Patriots Monday Night Football matchup next week. Till then, follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. Rate, review, subscribe. Wherever podcasts are found, Gang Green Nation podcast is its name. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 